0: Good morning, West Side. This morning we're in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 31. I'll give you a second to get there. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here, says the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you're here. If it's your first time here, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for so much for choosing to be with us today as we're continuing um, in our Advent journey. One thing I just want to lay before you, if it's your first time here um, and you're thinking about maybe starting, uh, getting back into the church routine at the beginning of the year, or you know some friends who have mentioned that. One of the things that we're going to be starting at the first of the year is a sermon series entitled New Year, New Family. And that's going to be about how the gospel affects our marriage, our parenting, and even our singleness. And so please come and be a part of that. It's always great at the first of the year with that clean slate. And we're going to look at how does the good news of Jesus affect these roles that we have in parenting, in singleness, and in marriage and all of that good stuff hey we are like all the way almost all the way through Advent and and if you've never celebrated Advent before Um, really what Advent means is sort of the arrival of. And so, you know, what we celebrate as a church is the arrival of Jesus. And the cool thing about it is, you know, if you really talk to someone who's serious about this and you say Merry Christmas to them, they'll say, "Uh uh-uh, it's not Christmas yet. Because what Advent is, it's the season before Christmas that prepares us for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing about it is Advent stands in contrast to the rest of the world. It's the darkest time of year. The leaves are dying and falling off the tree. Um, I mean, it's dark at like 3.30 in the afternoon. You're like, I just ate lunch, man. What's going on? And then here's the church filled with bright lights, evergreen as a symbol of God's never dying love. And as we light those Advent candles, it's more and more light that begins to dispel the darkness. And just a quick review, we've looked at a number of words that have led us through this Advent season. Um, We had hope. We said hope is the confident assurance that what God has said will happen. That's good. That is good news. We have hope for that. The second word that we looked at was love, and we defined love as you before me. The world defines love as a feeling or emotion and we challenged that and and we said, well then what do we do if we don't feel loving? If, If love is primarily an emotion, then there's days where we wake up and we don't feel loving. And the church said... Amen. Right. And so we said that the good news is, is that love is you before me. And God shows us that as he sent us his son. And and the third word that we looked at was joy last week. And we said joy is the supernatural delight that flows from following Jesus. And, And the good news there was, is we said that joy doesn't come from us. Joy has come to us in Jesus. And the beautiful thing about all of these words is that they greatly depend on each other. I mean, if you have hope, you are going to be a more loving person. If if you have that love of God, then you will experience that joy that flows from following Jesus. It's not like that you have love and then you're lacking in joy, you know. And, And today is going to be very similar with joy, as we look at peace and we've talked about that today and I've loved all of those scriptures and everything that we've said together but just like last week I found myself I found myself thinking peace i mean When I look out into the world or the news or scan social media or do anything like that, peace is not the word that I would describe for humanity right now. And it's almost like in contrast, it almost feels bad to say peace in this time of year. And actually, there's a number of statistics that would prove that. And I read an article this week, um, and the first thing that said this, most health experts have said that we have transitioned from a pandemic as the main concern to now a mental health crisis. That yes, the pandemic is a real concern, but now we are seeing the effects of the longevity of things like a shelter in place or the terms like social distancing. Now we are starting to see the adverse effects of those things that are happening to human beings. The article would go on to say that anti-insomnia medication is up 25% from last year. One in five Americans report that their sleep has been greatly affected since the pandemic. One doctor by the name of Charles Nermoff from the Dell Medical School at the University of Texas said, this kind of chronic stress brings about for all of those people who've never had anxiety before. It sort of overwhelms them. You've lost your job and you're worried that you will even have enough food or money to pay the rent. Those types of things will keep you up at night. And now we said that, praise God for for medication, and and Westside is a church that believes in the common grace of doctors. We said that it's not a negativity that 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 medication is being prescribed. What we said is you have to step back and say there is something going on on there is something that is happening and so really the sentence that i thought of this week is when it comes to peace there is something missing that our peace has a missing peace get it it's a play on words it's like peace okay all right it took me an entire day to come up with that sentence right but in all reality, listen, um, I think it's true that that even, like, even if you're a non-Christian, okay, maybe you're somebody that's peeking over the fence, you're checking this thing out, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but you're in a season of life and you're going, you know, what do I really believe? One of the things that we constantly challenge here is that it's very easy to negate and to say, well, I don't believe blank or the church has done blank or this, that, and the other. And most of the, time, that's where the argument ends, but you don't have the privilege of doing that. You can't just critique somebody else's answer without providing an answer yourself. So the reality is, is in this pursuit of peace or the lack thereof, what is the answer to this? How can humanity as a whole find this peace that we are all searching for? The Oxford English Dictionary defines peace as this, peace is the freedom from or sensation of war or hostilities, that condition of a nation or community in which it is not at war with one another. So primarily the definition of peace in the Oxford English Dictionary is the absence of something. And I think there's a number of uh, in the room that would say, of course, peace is maybe the absence of conflict or or the absence of financial turmoil or the absence of suffering and sickness and cancer and those types of things that if I could. Here it is. If I could remove something out of my life, then I would have peace. I think there's a number of us that think that. But then I think the rest of us in the room would say, no, 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 no. Peace isn't necessarily the absence of something. Peace is the presence of something. Or peace is the possession of something that I'm striving for. So I thought it would be helpful. I mean, I think there's a number of things that a majority of us in the room are pursuing that we're trying to lay hold of and have the presence of. And it's not so much um, if I could remove this from my life, but many of us are saying if I could just attain this, then I would have peace. Um, The first one is um, if, if I could just attain control. Control. Control is the longing to have everything according to my plan. And all of the parents said yes and amen. Yes and amen, right? If, if I could just um, get a grip on my life and control a few things, then, then I really think that I would have peace. Or how about the second one? Um, approval. Um, approval is the longing to be accepted or desired, that if I could just, if I could just walk into a room or conversation and not have to worry in the back of my mind, do they love me? Are they listening to me? Do they care or doing things in order to get that affirmation? If I could just get that, then man, I could just sit down and then I could just breathe for a little bit. If I could possess that, then I really think that I would have peace. Um, c- uh, control, approval, or how about this? Comfort. Comfort. Comfort is the longing for pleasure. This is um, the path of least resistance. So pain conflict, turmoil, there's always a desire to find the easier way. That, man, I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to have this conversation. Man, if I could just retire, I'm so close, and then I could just, you know, have drinks that have little umbrellas in them, and that would be great. If I could just, then I would just really, I would have this peace. Or how about the last one? Not control or approval or comfort. How about power? Power is a longing for influence or recognition. You know what, man? This job would be a lot different if I would be the one making the decisions. Because my boss, she always and he always, and man, you know what? If they would just give me that raise and some things would change around here, or if I could just... um... And here's one of the things that we've said. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. Approval? A longing to be loved? That's not a bad desire. But here's what we've said. Idols. The Bible speaks a lot about idolatry. And and when we read that, we think um, about little carved statues and altars and things like that. And then we go, oh, you know, well, we don't really struggle with that anymore. But the reality is, an idol tends to be a good thing That we make a God thing. So so the longing for approval is not bad. But when it becomes the pursuit of your life, and when you put all of your eggs in the basket of control, then that's when it becomes an idol. An idol is anything when we say, if I could just possess blank, then I think that I would have this peace but here's the difficulty in my job today right is um we know we know here's the sentence we know that these things won't really give us peace but deep down we actually believe that they will so so there's a disconnect Um, and and I've been on this journey of learning that I have a great disconnect in my head and my heart, that I know some stuff, that I have some information here. But the reality is, is when I step back and self-reflect and look at my life, I actually believe and behave certain ways that are contradictory to what I know. So so the reality here is um, we know Everybody in the room knows um, that, that Krispy Kreme donuts aren't going to help our figure, okay? Right? We know that, okay? It's a brutal truth today, right? Just shattering all of our hopes and dreams. But the reality is, is when we see that hot and ready sign, it beckons us. It says our name. And so we just, I'm going to hit the blinker and I'm just going to whip in here, Right? Listen, we know that the gym or all, we know some things, but the reality is, is in our heart, we believe and behave a different way. So we know right now you're going, of course, pastor, we know, you know, you're supposed to stand up there and tell us that none of those things will ever give us peace. And what we need is to just trust Jesus. Let us pray and then we can dismiss and go home early. But there's something else at work in our hearts. You see, these idols, they start as little seeds. And then the seed grows. And those roots take deep root in the depths of our heart. Then, then comes the Christmas story. What is this all about? Now there's angels and there's the virgin Mary and then there's Joseph as little kids say, right? What is what is so significant about this Christmas story that bridges the gap in the disconnect between our heart and our mind? Well, the first thing that we have to understand is this is that the Christmas story is an announcement. It's an announcement Here's what I mean by this. Like, this is the famous verse, right? Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now, pause for a second. Why am I taking so much time to prove that the Christmas message is an announcement? Um, An announcement is about something that's been done. News. It's already happened. There was no vote. There was no tally. There was no quorum established. And then we read the bylaws. And then somebody voted. And then somebody passed a motion. And then now, no, 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 it's not. It's an announcement. Well, what's the difference? Um, I think a lot of us think that Christianity is advice. And please listen, this is my whole message. There's a profound difference in an advice and an announcement. An advice is something that you need to do, something that you need to add to your life. You can go to the self-help section in any bookstore, and it's the largest section that's there. Maybe apart from the Harry Potter section, there's 27 of those books now, okay? Right? An announcement is completely different. An announcement is something's happened. Something has been done for you and we are here to declare it. Advice says you need to add this to your life. You need to do this and you need to do that. You see, this word, good news, is one word in the original language. And it was borrowed from the Roman culture. Did you know that when Caesar or the Roman emperor would win a battle, that he would send somebody to run back into the city, they were known as an evangelist, a carrier of good news, and they would come into the town square and they would declare, everyone gather around, everyone gather around. Caesar went to fight the Syrians today, and I declare to you good news that Caesar. Caesar has won. And then the whole town would cheer. It's, it's an announcement. And so now you can begin to see in the backdrop of this culture, an angel comes. And the, and the word angel means messenger. And they come bearing this good news. Well, what's the good news? And it will be for all the people, the whole city. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord? And then here's the response to this news, dropping down a few more verses. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. I looked this up in the original. Do you know how many angels a multitude is? I don't either. I have no idea, okay? It's a bunch, okay? It's like a lot. This is the moment. Hallelujah! Like this is it. Now think about this. It took one angel to announce it, but it takes all of heaven to celebrate it. That a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, now here it is, and on earth peace among those with whom He is well pleased. So so here it is follow me in, in this logic. There's an announcement that's made God has done something. The God of history, the God who created the cosmos has done something, and the angel announces it. And the announcement is is that the Savior has come, that now He walks amongst us. And what's the response? No more fear. Fear not. And then the angels begin to worship. And God gets glory for this. That God gets glory. And when God gets glory... When the glory goes up, the peace comes down. But now, follow me with this. If the announcement now says that there is peace on earth, that tells me something. It tells me that there wasn't peace on earth. That the coming of Jesus Christ Bring something that wasn't here. Like, now we're in it. Now we're in the message, okay? Because you have to understand the context and the time in which Jesus was born. Have, have your kids ever asked you that question? Like, why did Jesus come back then? Why didn't Jesus come now with like TikTok and Snapchat and all of that? I mean, it would be like everybody would know the news. It's incredible. Have you ever thought, why did Jesus come at the time that he came? And, and in the book of Galatians, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Oh man, listen, this is why you have to understand the surrounding context. Um, In Luke chapter 2, the uh, first couple of verses, remember when Charlie Brown reads it to us? He says when um, Caesar and Quinerius give the registration that all of the Roman world should be registered. That's a clue for us. Do you know what the clue is? Is that this event really happened that the Bible is not a fairy tale, but that we can mark the historical times. We know Quinerius and we know about Caesar Augustus. This guy was super significant in the Roman world. This guy changed everything and took Rome from a small little place to an entire empire. Caesar was very famous for saying, I found Rome as brick, and I left it as marble, right? This is one of the remaining statues that we have of Caesar, and there's a little naked baby down by his feet, and that's something that they don't teach about you in school, but you can look that up, okay? Because there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in Rome. But Jesus was born while Caesar reigned. Now, how much of an impact... Hey, by the way, we're going to nerd out for a second. Is that okay? Can we just be nerds in here? I'm going to be your nerd friend today. Awesome. Um, Rome has had such an impact even to this day. Um, By the way, the month of August named after Caesar Augustus. Um, Things like the Senate, Republic... Um, sewage systems, all of those were invented in Rome. But primarily, what skyrocketed Rome as an empire was the technology and the introduction of the road system. That's why the phrase all roads lead to Rome. Rome realized that if they were going to be the central empire, they needed to make it easy for people to get there. So what Caesar Augustus does is he dumps all of this money into the Roman empire to build all of these roads. But any Roman emperor also flexed their authority and their power. You see, people back then thought that the emperor, don't miss this, that the emperor was both God and man. That the emperor bridged the gap between Zeus and the divine and human beings. As a matter of fact, this is a picture of a coin from back in the day during the Roman Empire. And on the back of the coin, this is Caesar Augustus. And on the back of the coin, it says, Caesar the son of of the gods. Caesar actually went went and visited Syria in 21 B.C., and we have some propaganda that's left over. And on the flyers and parchment, it says, All hail Caesar, the bringer of glad tidings and great joy. Huh. That sounds a little bit familiar, right? Right? Oh yeah, by the way, Caesar would have a whole army of people march in front of him and declare, Caesar, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. Do you see now how radical this news is? Oh, by the way, Jesus was born at the height of what was called Pax romana which is the peace of rome this is literally the a snapshot of the entire roman empire at the height of when jesus was born now do you understand the context do you understand how radical it is that an announcement is made? That now it makes complete sense Is why is Herod so worried about another king being born? And what is in contrast to this cultural peace and this cultural news? It's this. That there is a true king who brings true peace, who rules not by power and might, but by humility and vulnerability. You see, listen, the Christmas message is in complete and total contrast to what the world offers you. When, when we come in here on Sundays and we spend time together and we sing of the good news, you have an hour, hour and 15 minutes to soak up this message. And when you leave out of here, every second of every day, the culture is blasting another gospel, another good news to you. That if you can just get this peace, that if you can just get control, that if you can just get this relationship, then you will have the... peace that you're longing for. But then Jesus comes with his disciples the last night of his earthly life, and he speaks to them in John's gospel. And Jesus speaks to them about this peace. What is different from the peace that Jesus offers than what the world offers? Listen, just a couple quick things. The first thing is this. Jesus's peace is supernatural. Do you notice what he says? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. My peace. You've got to understand what the culture and what the world says and what... What One of the primary Gospels that you hear every day of your life is that the peace and the power and everything is inside of you. And if you could just tap into that and if you could just find... And the problem is, is any restrictions or anybody that speaks against that. So you got to get all of those people out of your life. Listen, man, I hear this story over and over and over and over again. And one of the primary signs is always is when somebody's Says, um, I just need a little space. I just need a little space. Oh, really? Um, a little space from what? I'm just trying to figure stuff out. Code word for I see what's before me and it's hard and I'm afraid. And what I want to do is I want to bail right now. And I think that I can find that inside of myself. But what Jesus is saying is no, it's supernatural. And then the second thing is this, Jesus' peace is a gift. He says, I give it to you. I give you this peace. You know what we said a few weeks ago? We said the good news of the gospel is this, is that love is not something that you have to achieve. Love is something that you receive. But you know what's crazy? Talk about a disconnect between our head and our heart. We know that that's true, but we literally cannot believe that with our own lives. I'm finding more and more just myself how difficult it is for me to receive unconditional love. And the good news of what Jesus is saying is, this is not advice. You don't have to add anything to your life. This is something that I freely give to you. And then the last thing is this, Jesus' peace is better than the world's. Do you know what he says? He says it right there. He says, not as the world gives you. Not as the world gives you. You've got to understand this. One of the enemy's greatest tactics, I'll never forget hearing a preacher say this, that whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. So God creates um, marriage and and relationships. And then the enemy comes along and counterfeits it and says, no, 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 that's really not where you get peace or love. Over here is really where you get it. And I believe we are indoctrinated so much with this counterfeit peace that we don't even realize what real, true peace is. What is peace? Peace. Is it the absence of something? Is it the presence of something? Well, we've already discussed it a little bit in the service. When Jesus says, my peace, their ears would have perked up. They would have understood this word. In the original language, uh, for the two of you that care, peace is the word shalom, and that's what it looks like. It's really a difficult word for us to translate into English. It can mean wholeness and completeness, but... In Jewish theology, in Jewish understanding, shalom was synonymous with the Garden of Eden. So peace is perfection. It's the tranquility. It is the way it was always supposed to be. So when the Jews said to one another, peace be with you, when they would enter in or leave a house, they're saying, may the completeness and perfection of God rest here. Now I think we're ready for a definition. What is peace? Peace is the calm assurance that God is present and at work in my life. That's what peace is. Sure. It can be the absence of something. Sure, it can be the presence of something. But at a very base level, peace is the calm assurance that God is present and at work in my life. And do you know what many of us believe? Many of us believe that it's the absence of conflict or suffering or anything bad, that if I can just get out of this scenario, then I will get peace. But by its very definition, peace requires the conflict. It requires the suffering. It requires the difficult situation. Um, Maybe this illustration will help. Um, Remember a few weeks ago, whenever the horrible storms just sort of came through, and I think everybody was a little bit on edge, and of course around here, you, you say the word storm and milk and bread disappear. I mean, it's just like gone, gone. Why do you need all that toilet paper, bro? Like what is going on, right? And so everybody was supposed to be coming in, you know, sort of late at night, and if your family was like ours, you, you stay up just a little bit later and see is it going to hit and all of that. And I'll never forget when it kind of started to storm a little bit, but before we went to bed, the kids were already asleep and it was raining a little bit. I just went in and checked on the kids, and and they were out. I mean, out like a light, like the mouth open, you know? And why do kids always end up sideways in the bed? Like, it's just sideways, leg, I mean, I'm talking asleep, man. Asleep in the midst of a storm. And then I just pondered and thought on that. How, man? How can kids do that? You can be in traffic, you can be in a chaotic situation, and they're just oblivious to what's going on. And then it dawned on me Mom and Dad. They don't need to bear the weight or the responsibility of the storm or the traffic or the conflict. That's Dad's job. And how many of us would our life change that in the midst of the conflict and in the midst of the suffering, if we had the childlike faith of trusting and knowing my dad's present, my heavenly father's at work, I can't see it, but I'm going to trust in what he's doing and working in my life. And so in closing, in response, I wanted to ask a few questions help us gain an understanding of what this is. The first one is this. What are you pursuing for peace? Now, this is going to require some serious honesty. Not what you know that you shouldn't be pursuing, but a real serious self-reflection. Looking at my bank account, looking at my time spent, looking at where I go on the internet, uh, internet, what do I daydream about, What What do I really pursue that, man, if we just build that house, man, we're only a few years away from buying the lot and doing, and what are you pursuing? The second thing is this, what lies are you telling yourself to justify that pursuit? Hey, nobody lies to you more than you do. And when we find ourselves in a very difficult scenario or situation, what we begin to do is to justify the decisions that we're making. Well, the reason why I'm not going to get involved and I'm kind of leaving this is they said and, and then my parents and then and what we begin to do is we abdicate that responsibility. We begin to justify those decisions. But, you know, there's still something underneath all of that. This is where Jesus wants to meet you. And it's this last question. What are you afraid of? What are you scared of? Are you afraid that if you repent and you lay that thing down, you don't even know who you are anymore? Because it's always been your identity. That's how people know you. Will they still love you? Will they still accept you? What if God doesn't come through? What if I don't have this peace and this costs me everything? Listen, please listen to me. That is where Jesus wants to meet you. And all he's asking, all he's asking from you is one step, one step of obedience to lay down the other pursuits and for you to simply say, yes. Not, I have it all figured out. Not, I'm, I'm, I don't have any doubts. Or You can have doubts. You can have questions. You can have all of those things. But all he's simply asking from you is the yes. Is to lay down the plastic piece that we have been pursuing and to meet him there. And that, that is where I believe we will understand what Advent and Christmas really is. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Who among us will celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his loneliness, that's, that's who will understand Christmas. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today, and if we are honest, each and every one of us in this room have pursued peace a thousand different ways this week all of us have prone to wonder lord we feel it prone to leave the god we love and then the confession here's my heart lord take and seal it for thy courts above holy spirit we are asking you to fill the room today and give us the power to lay down what we're pursuing and God, I pray that, that maybe for the first time I just feel an inclination in my spirit that for the first time today somebody understands that Christianity is not advice. It's not keep doing and keep adding and try harder and pull yourself up. It's an announcement. And the announcement is that the God of heaven has chased you down and He's found you and He's pursued you right there in your darkness, right there in your brokenness. And the announcement is that the grave is empty and that the throne is occupied and that peace has been purchased. God, I pray today, as the scripture said, the peace that surpasses all understanding would fill our hearts and minds and that you would bridge the gap between the disconnect of our heart and mind. God, we don't lack information. Oh my goodness, we've had so many Bible studies and we can Google anything and we know all the information. What we need today is the Spirit's power for the application and to really lay this down and to meet us right in the yes and in the first step. Holy Spirit, may you comfort those who need comforting. May you convict those who need convicting. And may you compel us all towards Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.